Have you ever said to somebody, be patient? Or maybe you've had to look in the mirror and say it to yourself, just be patient. Or maybe you've had to say it as you were stuck in freeway traffic. When somebody says, hey, pray for patience, say no. I entitled this message, Be Patient. And the week that I was doing the sermon, God was certainly challenging me with my own lack of patience. Do you struggle in this area with patience? Do you need more of it? Well, today we're going to deal with the phrase, Be Patient on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Sterizo in the Greek means to set fast, to turn resolutely in a certain direction. Same word is used in Luke 9.51 when Jesus Uh, resolutely determined to set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what he was going to have to uh, endure, but he was looking towards the end of the process. He had to face the cross, but more than that, the, the garden, the whipping, the betrayal, the desertion. He had to face the cat of nine tails. He had to endure the cross and the, the shame that went with it, but he was looking to the end that you would end up in heaven because of what he did. And so we have to endure sometimes even affliction, knowing that that process of suffering precedes glory. It's not easy. In fact, this word derives from a root word meaning to cause to stand up or to prop up. One writer says, James urges those about to collapse under the weight of persecution to prop themselves up with the hope of the Savior's return or to lean into the Lord. This is what we need for the Lord is near. The coming of the Lord is at hand. For every generation, we look to the coming of the Lord. And since we're 2,000 years removed, how close might we be? We've seen the return of Israel to the land. We've seen them recapture Jerusalem. How close might we be to a couple of events falling into place on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? And what might we have to endure if the church goes through some of Daniel's 70th week or has to face tribulation and even face the Antichrist, depending on your view of the end times, we may have to steal our hearts to be resolute under economic duress and persecution and the forcing of the mark and all that goes with it. And some of us, we sit here as those spectators thinking, well, it's not going to touch me. But the Lord says, You need to prepare your heart as well. We just don't know what's going to come our way. See, the night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Romans 13, 12. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. We need to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. When we're lacking patience or going through tough times, verse 9 applies. It says, do not complain, brethren, against one another that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. How many of us can say that when we've been maybe in a tight place and we've been under pressure and we're waiting on God or waiting on circumstances, we start to take it out on those closest to us. We begin to complain Maybe even about the Lord and about other people. Imagine how strong this early church had to be with many people walking into the church and haven't eaten in several days and being ripped off by people who profess to be Christians. 
Imagine James taking the pulpit and looking out to a group of people and saying, be patient when they haven't eaten in three to four days. And the checks that they were supposed to get were withheld. And they've been praying and crying out to God. It's one thing when you can go out and have a pancake or a donut. It's another thing when it's hit your life. When reality has hit hard. And so don't complain. It means to groan within oneself or to sigh. Sometimes we complain without complaining. Y'all know what I'm saying? Some of you know the body language of those closest to you or their sighs. <laughs> right? And somebody looks at you and says, What's wrong? What? I'm not complaining. <laughs> Yeah, you are. I've known you for 40 years. I know that's a complaint. Randy Kilgore writes, I was sitting with a group of passengers on an airport shuttle heading to our connecting flight when the bus driver was told to hold in place. It looked like we would miss our flight, and this was more than one passenger could handle. He exploded at the bus driver, insisted he ignore his orders or risk the wrath of a lawsuit. Just then, an airline employee came dashing up carrying a briefcase. Looking at the angry man, the airline employee triumphantly held up the briefcase. When he caught his breath, he said, Sir, you left your briefcase. I heard you mention how important your meeting was. I figured you would need this. If you don't get moving now, there'll be a lawsuit. Oh, that's my briefcase. Sorry. Have you ever been there before? You know, you kind of became like a little baby in the aisle of the grocery store. <laughs> and then you got a life lesson. Is this your briefcase? Is this your child? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sometimes. He goes on, I find myself impatient with God, especially about his return. I wonder, what could he be waiting on? The tragedies around us, the suffering of people we love, even the stresses of daily life all seem bigger than the fixes on the horizon. Then someone tells their story of having just met Jesus, or I discover God is still at work in the messes. And it reminds me of what I learned that day on the shuttle. There are stories and details that God knows that I don't. It reminds me to trust him and to remember that the story isn't about me. It's about God's plan to give time to others who don't yet know his son. And so Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. That's Philippians 2, 14 through 16. We need to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
the day of the Lord is coming. And the work of the harvest will be over then. And so right now we need to maximize the time. And so James says we need to chill out, give each other some grace in these tight seasons of difficulty. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Live a life that's pleasing to him because we all must appear before the Bema seed of Christ. We're all going to give an account for how we lived and how we loved and how patient we were in times of difficulty. And so, a couple of examples and we're done. Verse 10. As an example, brethren, of this exhortation, James 5.10, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Which of the prophets did Israel not persecute? Try being Jeremiah. Try being Isaiah, who asked the Lord, okay, after he says, I'm here, send me. Give me some details on the mission. Well, you're going to keep going to these people and you're going to tell them, I'm going to speak to you, but you're not going to listen. Can you imagine having a ministry where every week you went into a pulpit knowing that no one was going to listen to you? How long would you last? How long would you last if you were Noah building an ark and the only converts that you had were your family in probably a stretch of 120 years of ministry? How much patience does that take? You see, these examples, uh, and there are, there's a fuller list in one book back, Hebrews 11. Take a peek. It's worth looking at. Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith. Look at verse 32. Hebrews 11 32. The writer, after chronicling many of the great heroes of our Bible, Hebrews eleven thirty two 32 says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. That's who we're talking about, the prophets. Hebrews eleven thirty three. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they may, might obtain a better resurrection. Thirty six. Others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes. Also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these having gained approval through their faith, through some very trying difficulty, did not receive what was promised, they didn't realize the promises in their lifetime is the idea because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. How many of the prophets do you think looked to the heavens and said, Lord, how long? Lord, how long? How many times do you think Elijah in his generation said, Lord, how long? As he ran away from Jezebel. And even became suicidal at one point. You see, this gives me hope that the prophets were human like you and me. Because if I were to measure my patience...
Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California, or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. Lord, how long? Lord, how long? How many times do you think Elijah in his generation said, Lord, how long? As he ran away from Jezebel and even became suicidal at one point. You see, this gives me hope that the prophets were human like you and me. Because if I were to measure my patience meter in some of my own trials, I would have to say I probably haven't done so great. Especially if the camera was on me in my hidden moments of struggle. And so we get one more example and you're all going to resonate with it. Behold, 11, final verse, we count those blessed who endured, hupomone means to remain under, to stay constant. You have heard of the endurance or patience of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. Now, if you've read the book of Job, and some of you don't want to read the book of Job because it's kind of like the title of this message. If I read that book, maybe the Lord's going to take me through some stuff. So most people who read Job are going through stuff already. And then they go, I'll see what this book has to say. (laughs) Now we know that Job was an upright and blameless man. And God began to actually boast on Job. And then the devil said, well, it's because you put a hedge about him and you blessed him. You removed that, you let me at him, he'll curse you to your face. Well, we know the rest of the book of Job is really about what happened. And Job went through this terrible time. He lost so much. He was physically suffering. And as the book unfolds, we have to say that Job complained. He said, he cursed the day of his birth, Job 3.1. He said, therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the sea monster that thou dost set a guard over me? If I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. Then thou dost frighten me with dreams and terrify me by visions. That's just a small sample from Job 7. You know, as you read the book of Job, you say, this guy, how could James use Job as an example of patient endurance? Well, here's the hope that as you go through your question marks, and I think, you know, Job had a number of questions for God. Here's the one thing that we could say about Job. 
Even though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I know my Redeemer lives. And at the end, I I will be with him as he takes his stand and I, I will see him in my flesh. I will see God. Sometimes we have to just start talking to ourselves about whatever's good, pure, lovely, and the hope of what is going to be restored when someone we love is on a sickbed or we get the phone call that somebody died unexpectedly or somebody's suffering with cancer or whatever it is and we go, oh Lord, how long? How long until you come and reverse this curse on the earth that hurts so many that I love, but I know you love? Hupomone, the word for perseverance there, those who endured is the idea, hupomone. It means to remain, to persevere bravely and calmly. And there's a blessing that's attached to it. We count those blessed who endured. You can write James 1.12 there, enduring through temptation and trial. Remember earlier in the book, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. And we all said, James is not saying to rejoice in the actual trial, but in what the trial can produce. Nobody's asking you after you hit your finger with a hammer to go, I've got joy, 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 joy down in my heart as blood spurting. No, 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 no. That's not what James is saying. He's saying, look, in the end, the trial can produce perseverance and strength and maturity. You see, here's what we need to know. The Lord is full of compassion and he is merciful. Would you turn to the end of the book of Job? Ezra and Nehemiah. Job, somewhere near the Psalms. Just before the Psalms. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted by God. Cast all your anxiety upon the Lord because he cares for you. Last chapter of Job is what you want. The Lord's compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Our champion, brothers and sisters, is coming. He's coming. Here's the end of the story of Job. Then Job answered the Lord after the Lord had given him, I think it's 77 questions that the Lord asked Job to which he has, Job has no answer. (laughs) One writer said Job found his closest communion with God in the midst of adversity. And in Job 42, Job answered the Lord, verse one, and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've declared that which I did not understand, or I did not, yeah, I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. 42, look at verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, When he prayed for his friends 
And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Then all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before came to him. And they ate bread with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima, the second Keziah, the third Karen Hapuk. And in all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters, and their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years, saw his sons and his grandsons, four generations, and Job died an old man, full of days. On Friday, I was listening to David Jeremiah, and I really appreciate David's ministry. He has such a wonderful heart for people. And he was speaking on God's faithfulness, and uh, he shared this story, and I steal it from him because it's so apropos to this sermon. And with this story, we'll end. There once was a young man from Chicago who went down to the bluegrass regions of Kentucky where he met and wooed a young woman who ultimately came back to Chicago as his bride. They enjoyed three lovely years of marriage. Then one day in the midst of a sickness and a seizure of pain, the young woman lost her mind. When she was at her best, she was a bit demented. When she was at her worst, she would scream, so the neighbors complained. The young businessman didn't know what to do, but ultimately left his home in the middle of Chicago, went out to one of the western suburbs, built a house, determined that there he would do everything within his power to nurse his wife back to health and sanity. One day the family physician suggested that if he were to take his wife back to Kentucky, back to her original home, that maybe something in the familiar surrounding would help to restore her sanity. And so they went back to the old homestead. Hand in hand, they walked through the old home where memories hung on every corner. They went down to the garden and they walked down by the riverside where the violets were in full bloom. But after several days, nothing seemed to be happening. So defeated and discouraged, the young man put his wife back in the car and headed back to Chicago. When they got close to the house, he looked over and discovered that his wife was asleep. It was the first time that he had saw her in deep, restful sleep in many, many weeks. When he got to the house, she was still asleep, and so he lifted her from the car, took her inside, placed her on the bed, and realized that she wanted to sleep some more. So he put a cover over her and stayed by her side and watched her deep into the midnight hour. He watched her until the first rays of the sun reached through the curtain and touched her face. The young woman awoke and she saw her husband seated by her side and she said, I seem to have been on a long journey. Where have you been? And that man, speaking out of days and weeks and months of patient waiting and watching, said, My sweetheart, I've been right here waiting for you all the time. Jeremiah says, and that is the faithfulness of God. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, he's right here. He's always been here. He's been waiting for you. 
to respond. And for some, he waits and waits and waits. God is so patient. And for some of you, you've been running from this God for so long. And he's been waiting for you. And the question will be, how will you respond to his love? Will you say, Lord, thank you for waiting for me. Thank you for being so patient. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California, or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.